Hi, we're going to be doing a community dialogue this morning. Um, we are finishing up a series on the forgotten women leaders of the New Testament. And can I just, um, Jason's sitting here, so he's usually up here. Um, digging into the New Testament in the way that he has for this series has been personally very meaningful. And so can we just say thank you? It is uh, easier to just give the sermons that you've heard from others, but to really dig in and find new ways and new things is work, and we appreciate you. So um, I'm going to be calling up a couple of women in just a second who are going to chat with us uh, regarding this community dialogue. But I know that you all try to come to church every single week, but I know you miss every now and then. So I want to just remind you of a couple of the women that we talked about this uh, last series. So firstly, we talked about Phoebe. Phoebe was a deacon in the church and worked alongside other deacons in the early church and was mentioned in the Bible. But we watched translations over the years change the Greek word of deacon just specifically for Phoebe to servant. Um, her male counterparts continued to keep their title of deacon, but we watched as Phoebe was changed to servant, which was also a way to read that word, but we know specifically when it was talking about folks that it was deacon, it was a leadership role. Um, and then we learned about Junia. Junia was an apostle and um, worked again in a leadership role alongside her male counterparts in the early church. Um, and again, over the years in translation, we started to see Junia's name change to the masculine form. Again, it just made it a little simpler for oftentimes male leaders and readers to keep the patriarchy going by making it sound like Junia was male. And then finally, we heard about Eodia and Syntyche, who were having a debate on church matters. They were both leaders. And Jason really unpacked for us this, this idea that a lot of times when we bring our own ideas to the text, that we can see female leaders who are contending with each other as quarreling or um, being reprimanded by Paul to kind of pull it together. And yet we see Paul and Barnabas and others arguing and they're considered strong leaders. And so I think we can all agree that life has gotten a lot better for women since the early church. But I do want to remind you about a few things. Firstly, just like Phoebe, women are still fighting against being given lesser titles. So I can give you a ton of statistics. I think we read the news enough, but I will share two things with you. A recent MIT study found that women were 14% less likely to be promoted. And the main major factor and reason given was that, I want to read this properly, it was the consistent belief that women had lower leadership potential than their male coworkers. I want to specifically, we're in church today, so I want to specifically talk about the Christian church in the United States. 
59.2% of all employees in the church are women. And yet only 13.5% of those women are recognized leaders in their denomination. So also like Junia, we are still asking women to change their names to a more masculine sounding name. Joanne Kathleen Rawling wrote the famous Harry Potter books, and yet she was required by her publisher to change her name to J.K. Rawling um, because it was believed that young boys would never read a book about a boy written by a woman. And then finally, just like Eodia and Syntyche, female leaders are still struggling with stereotypes. We cannot watch a political debate with women as leaders in that debate without hearing about their voice pitch being too high, their weight, their hair, their clothing. We often hear much less about their ideas or the job that they're doing and way more about how they look or sound. Are they too male? Are they too female? Are they too whatever? Today's Pentecost. Some of us are wearing our fiery clothes, thanks to Phil reminding me. I think we should give the church a birthday gift. I think we should consider giving the church diversity. And we've been talking about women, but there's a lot of kinds of diversity that we need to continue to uphold and lift up. And so today, I have invited three of our leaders in the church that I would like to invite up now to come and sit with me. Get all of my things out of the way here. And then Jen, do you want to grab that um, microphone? So um, what I'd like to do is ask that you please give us your name and what role you play in leadership here at the church. And then uh, I'll have a question for you. So I'll let you all introduce yourselves first, starting with Jen. Um, my name is Jen Zoutendyke. And um, besides attending this church and being a member, I'm also a member of the board. My name is Brenda Van Vrieswick. And no, you don't have to be Dutch to be a leader, but we both <laughs> seem to have Dutch names. Um, I'm a leader with my husband of a um, dinner and discussion group. Good morning. I'm Leanne McInerney, and I co-lead the book club on Thursday nights. So you guys got this question in advance, but I'm going to give it to these uh, all these folks out here. So one of our themes in this series has been allowing leaders to have the freedom to lead in their own way instead of expecting them to lead like men. Um, I don't know exactly what that means, but it seems to be a thing. What does leading like a woman mean to you? So anybody can go first. Well, I have the, the mic. mic. <laughs> Darn it. Darn it. Uh, actually, I uh, 
being a leader, I can say in, in uh, here at church as well as when I was working. Um, oftentimes, um, I would want to be prepared for leading, whatever that looks like, whatever group it would be. I would want to be um, uh, understand the problem statement if there is such a thing. What are what are we working on? And I would want to be heard, and I would also want to be that person who's a leader who would also listen and not be it's my way or the highway type thing. So those are just some of the things. And and I will also say that as uh, as a follower of Jesus, I relied on a lot of prayer. For example, today. <laughs> so, and so that's that's pretty much how I would lead. So I have been in human resources for most of my working life. So um, kind of thinking of it from that perspective and observing women taking on leadership roles, as well as myself and my own growth. And I think the word that came to mind for me was um, being authentic and trying to think about that for myself with how do I show up, bringing in, maybe there's a situation that does call for more heart or more feelings or more just thinking about people in business. It seems like such an obvious thing to think about, but there's so often if, um, and again, I really don't want to stereotype, but if men are in leadership, um, there's a lot to be said about numbers and, and of course, business success and all those things. And I think I've gotten a lot more comfortable with bringing in um, feelings and being more comfortable with, with mentioning those things, but also encouraging women in the same way. When I think about really powerful female leaders that I've worked with, they do bring heart and they then help create that safe space for other women to also bring their true selves into work. And that's been a really, really gratifying part of um, my experience. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> those are all really great um, answers. Um, I was thinking about the question, you know, what does it mean to lead as a woman? And my first response was like, well, it should just mean the same thing. It means if you're a man, you just bring your best self to the situation, try to have um, good results while lifting up the people around you to do their best as well. And I am, um, besides this church, I also am a manager outside of church. I have a lot of younger people working for me. And so I just kind of jotted down some of the things that um, to me as I'm leading in that, I, I lead a, like a retail team. So as I'm leading that group of people, um, I look for their strengths and try to give them opportunities to use them. I try to create a culture of the team encouraging each other and a safe space for people to you know, do their jobs so that they don't feel like they're competing with one another, but rather they're like working together. Um, I try to put people first over the bottom line. <laughs> maybe isn't the best business decision always, but, but I think it does actually work out being the best business decision. Um, you know, clear communication of expectations, which is more practical. Um, as a leader, and I think this was mentioned already, trying to be approachable and safe for people to come to you when they are having a problem or, they, or if they have an idea, just in general, um, staying humble and being a safe person. Um, and I think because of the environment I work in, it's, uh, there, it, there's a lot of room for creativity. And I like to leave a lot of room for people to be creative and come with ideas. 
come with, um, hey, I have this idea, like, why don't we create this new, like, thing in the front of the store? And like, yes, do that, let's do it. How can we support you? So really um, encouraging people to, like, put their own selves into the project that we're doing so that they feel a sense of ownership in the project. And when they see what, we, what we're doing, they feel like there's part of themselves that has been invested in that and they can feel good about that. Um, and, They're so quick with their answers. Well, um, so this to me sounds like just great leadership. And so I wanna thank you for being here at the church and using the gifts and talents that you've learned over the years to come in and step in in leadership roles here. Because I know it's not always as easy for women, especially in male-dominated spaces. So we give them a hand. And thank you, thank you. Um, so I thought that to end our time together, if you will allow me, um, I've been in the co-minister role for almost a year. And um, um, some of you don't know my story. And so we were doing a dialogue. If you will indulge me a little bit, I'm going to share a little bit about myself. Um, and, and my role kind of in the church. So um, when I was in second grade, my parents sent me to a private Christian school for completely non-religious reasons. And the first time we had chapel, the principal um, stood up and talked about Jesus. And instead of getting in line with my little second grade uh, students behind Mrs. Riddle, I quietly followed the principal back to her office. And I said, I've got to meet this guy. And I, I just, I was in love. And I said a prayer and I became a Christian and it was uh, the best decision of my life. And my parents were not religious. And so for three years on an almost daily basis, I would say, can we go to church? Can we go to church? I was back in public school. Um, and finally, in fifth grade, my parents found us a church. It was a Southern Baptist, but super cool, three services of five or 600 people, um, tons of kids my age. And by like sixth grade, I was there several times a week. I was in choir. I was in, we had a revolving stage. And so we did all these plays and um I was also part of the preaching team. We had a student preaching team and all of us would come together and we would be given a passage and we would each learn our little portion and for two to five minutes, depending on who showed up, we got to go up and in front of the entire church for all three services, we got the chance to preach. I loved it. By ninth grade, my high school was two doors down from our church, so I started a Bible study and had around 30 kids showing up every Monday at the church. We had off-campus lunch. I don't know that they do that anymore. It shows my age. 
and uh, we'd have pizza. The church would supply pizza. I don't know if the 30 kids came because of the Bible study and all the great prayer or because of the pizza, but uh, it went on. And then by the end of my ninth grade year, I had started a program called Sidewalk Sunday, which was we had a Section 8 house housing complex uh, kind of close to the church. And latchkey kids was a big thing in the 80s. Does anyone remember latchkey kids? Uh, you know, kids being at home by themselves. There weren't a lot of like after school programs. And so I would bring a bunch of kids from the youth group and we would provide a healthy snack and we would have um, games and stuff for the kids to do so they weren't in their apartment complex alone without their parents. And um, went on doing that, I loved it. By 11th grade, we'd had several leaders have some um, sexual failings, I guess we'll call it. Um, and in the midst of that, the associate pastor pulled me aside before our next preaching club meeting to tell me that I was 16 and a woman now and could no longer be part of the preaching team because God uh, did not allow women to preach in church. And so he wanted me to note that I was the only girl at the club at the time and that it just wasn't appropriate anymore. Um, that was painful because I loved it and I did okay. I was okay at it, you know? I. I got lots of people coming afterwards telling me how great I did. But you know, I had to believe him because honestly, I was part of a small evangelical world. I had never seen or met another female pastor. No woman was wearing a collar or up giving a sermon. And other than a few tele-evangelists that didn't seem like they were of the same faith as myself, I had not a single role model of a female in leadership. And if I look back at the biblical characters of women that were taught about in my church, there was the temptress Eve, the woman at the well with loose morals, Jezebel. No one wanted to be a Jezebel. And even my heroine, Eve, or I'm sorry, Esther, she won over the king by her beauty and her excellent party planning. But I just wanted to be loved by God. I just wanted to be right. If you would have told me when I was 16 that I would be sitting up here today with my title, I would have said that would have been out of God's will because all I had ever seen was these women of the Bible and women party planning on the outskirts. Last year, when I finally agreed, after years of prodding from Jason and a few of you, to take on the title of minister in recognition of what I was already doing, I knew that I'd have to make an acceptance that the voices of my past would scream at me. They'd scream at me from every corner and every place. Because asking marginalized people to step into roles that they were told their whole lives they didn't belong in is hard. 
Joey and I have this conversation on a regular basis. Every time we come up here, we have those voices from the past. But here's one thing that I didn't expect. I didn't expect that in the first couple of months I would hear from women from my past and from within this room who said, you're taking on that title has allowed me to feel more valuable in the church. If we don't provide role models, if we don't show people in leadership of color with different sexual orientations, we are never going to allow for kids to see themselves in this space. And you know, the thing is, is that um, as I came into a place of deconstruction and started to learn about churches that were outside of my tiny little space, there was a wealth of role models in front of me. Role models from distant past to right here, right now. And um, so I usually don't do the teaching series. I do the holding space portion um, because in my leadership, that, that bit of mystery that we find in the church, that space where we light a candle and we pray and we feel something, that's the part I'm interested in leading. That's the part that I love. That's the part that despite the pain of my past in a church that I loved, that told me I couldn't be what I wanted to be, there was still this mystery, this place that I found of God that had everything that I was looking for. And so um, I'm going to do the holding space portion as well. And um, I'd like to share about a role model that I found while in seminary um, called Julian of Norwich. So Julian of Norwich was an anchorite who lived in um, the late 1300s. She lived in the church. She took a vow of poverty. She li lived in an extremely patriarchal, judgmental, and exclusionary warlike period. The Black Plague was um, causing her to lose 30 to 50% of the population around her. And she became very ill herself and had a series of what she called showings, about times of prayer where she found God. And what she found was this. I'm going to let this slide go. That even though things were insane all around her, that God, there was no wrath in God, and that all shall be well, all shall be well, and in all manner of things, all shall be well. There is a force of love moving through the universe that holds us fast and will never let us go. I'm going to invite Joey and Sarah to come up, and I have asked them to play a song in an audio divina type of format. So inviting you to just take a minute and wonder to yourself, if you are a marginalized person, if you are a person who has been told in any way that you don't belong, that you don't belong in leadership, that you don't belong in your vocation, that there is something wrong with you, 
I can guarantee that there's a child that feels the same way and you're stepping up and stepping in and believing that within God, there's an all shall be well space that we can have a mantra that if we all work with God to do amazing things, that we can believe that all shall be well. So please listen, pray, take a minute, and imagine a world where we all have an availability to be in leadership. Thank you.
today, which is sort of a fancy church word for the closing prayer. Um, and I'm going to ask you to help me with that uh, by doing something that we always do together at the end of the service, which is to pass the peace. Uh, but before we do, I want to just share with you kind of how this is landing with me. And, and that is, I think, to ask the question... Is your God big enough for women to express God's image, God's love, God's healing, God's leadership? And I know that the obvious answer to that is yes, you would be like, of course God is big enough. But I want to suggest to you that what we do more often than not in spaces like this is make God as small as possible. And to allow God to be bigger than our traditional imagination means to allow God to be expressed by women, to be expressed by queer people, by trans people, by people of color, to be expressed by people whose faith is different than ours, to be expressed by people who are pressing for goodness in the world, but for whom God is not useful language for them anymore because God represents so much hurt and pain. And it's a bit scary, I think, to allow God to be bigger than our imagination. Because it means allowing new people into our lives, new perspectives into our lives. And that's a bit scary. So today, I want to invite you to imagine how it might be well with your soul to allow different people, different perspectives to also represent God. Because that's really, I think, the only hope that our world has. We continue to exclude others because they don't fit into our idea of what is good. Then we have no choice but to fight each other, to compete, to crowd each other out, to justify violence. The only way to a place of peace is to allow God to be different than we imagined. So I think this is big, and I think it's important. And you've heard me say this before, but I think misogyny is the original bigotry. Before we hated queer people, before we hated people of color, we hated women. And that's why we spent so much time talking about this, because until we deal with misogyny, we can't begin to accept trans people and queer people and people of color, foreign people, immigrant people, unchristian people. And so I think this is like where it starts. 
Um, thank you to the women who got up here today and shared what it was like for you to lead. Thank you for leading me. Amen. Amen. Well, then may the peace of God be with you. Have a great week. Good morning, Oceanside. My name is Rich. Welcome new visitors. If this is your first time at Oceanside Sanctuary, we'd love to uh, let us know you're here. And there's two ways for you to do that. First of all, you can grab a little connection card in the pew and fill that out. Put your name and contact information on it and let us know if there's any groups or any ways that you'd like to volunteer. Um, if you are living in 2023, you can use the more high-tech way and you can scan the QR code. There's QR code up there and around the room. Um, and there's also um, uh, information on the website, too, to uh, let us know that you're here. Um, so ways to get involved at Oceanside Sanctuary. I've been here for a few years. I've been involved in, in many ways, and it's a great way to feel connected and feel a part of this community. So one way to get involved is our book club. Our book club is online. It meets this June 1st at 6.30 via Zoom. And the book that we will be reading is Trailblazers by Mary Ann Horton. And this was chosen in honor of Pride Month. It's a memoir about her transformation from male to female. And this is probably a first time for the book club, but the author herself will actually be there, uh, part of the conversation. Yeah. So you can sign up for that uh, online and get the connection to the Zoom, the Zoom link. Um, also, we need volunteers for the Oceanside Sanctuary's Queer Committee at the Pride by the Beach this Saturday, uh, June 3rd, from 12 to 6 p.m. in downtown Oceanside. It's a family-friendly event to put on by the North Coast LGBT Resource Center and the Oceanside Sanctuary Queer Committee. Um, we'll have a booth there, so we need help um, setting up, um, manning the booth, and taking it down. And the day after Pride by the Beach is Pride Sunday here at the church. That's next Sunday, June 4th at uh, Oceanside Sanctuary, so join us for our regular gathering and a taco truck after church. And then finally, um, our processing religious trauma class begins Wednesday, June 7th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. This is a therapeutic group for anyone who has experienced emotional, physical, or spiritual harm in a religious setting. Facilitated by Stephanie Moss, a licensed clinical social worker and our own Janelle Coker, spiritual director. This group helps people understand the kinds of trauma that can occur in abusive religious spaces and provides support for, he uh, for healing from those wounds. As always, you can sign up by using the connection card or scanning the QR code. And then finally, we um, don't take donations, kind of like in a traditional church, um, but we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on your donations from people like you. So if you'd like to support our mission, you can make a gift by scanning the QR code again or visiting the website. Thanks.